All right, everybody, welcome back to Traffic Jam. It's Isabel, and as always, I am joined by Georgia. Hi, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody, or Galentine's Day, you know, whatever it is that you're celebrating. We are sending all of our love to you, and we want to thank everybody for spending January Human Trafficking Awareness Month with us. Now, obviously, we are going to continue to constantly be raising awareness on the issue of human trafficking moving past January. And so, again, like Georgia said, thank you all for tuning into this episode. Uh, We're doing something a little bit different today. I feel like sometimes we say that quite often um, as we're trying to find our style. Uh, But today, we actually, uh, Georgia and I both read a book, uh, and we are going to talk about it today analyze it. Um, It's called A Stolen Life. Uh, It was written by J.C. Dugard, and it is her true story um, about when she was kidnapped and trafficked. If you are a crime junkie or a true crime fan, you may know of her story and you may have even read her book. So not only are we going to share her story and the notes we have taken from the book, we are also going to basically try to break it down and do an analysis on JC and her survival mechanisms and then her captors and abusers and their manipulation tactics. So let's jump right into it. So the book starts with JC being a normal girl. She is 11 years old. She's at the end of the school year. It's almost summer break and she's walking to her school bus stop. She's randomly kidnapped by a stranger on this walk. She's tased, she's thrown into a van, and she goes unconscious. When JC woke up from knocking unconscious, she was with a man that she did not know. In the book, she did note that he looked like a normal guy, but it wasn't anybody that she knew. His name is Philip, which she learned later on. But on this day that she was captured, Philip made her shower with him. Now, Georgia, remind me at this point, too, when she was first kidnapped, did, it, did she know that there was a woman there as well? It was a man and a woman who pulled up in the car, right? Yes, I'm sorry. I did leave that out. She did say there was a woman with her or she heard somebody else talking. But when she woke up, I believe she was with just the man. Exactly. Yes. Um, Which is kind of an interesting dynamic. I think it was kind of at the time she obviously wasn't sure who um, the woman was. But, you know, you kind of think, oh, is this like a couple, essentially? Right. That thought pops into your head. Yeah. And which later we learn that they are um, who kidnapped this girl. And we'll get a little bit more into the couple uh, later. But essentially, so after that first incident, uh, after that first incident, uh, JC was actually led out of the house. She was blindfolded, right? Into more of like, they walk through the backyard into, into more of like a barn studio type of area. She can't really see uh, like where she's being led to, uh, but that's kind of like the feel that we get when reading the book. And she's locked into uh, in this room. Uh, there's no bathroom, no toilet, and 
she's only fed when Philip brings her food. Uh, she talks about kind of losing sense of time of day, uh, you know, sleeping a lot, um, not knowing if it's, you know, the next day yet, uh, if it's, you know, morning or night. Um, and she's stuck. And, you know, Philip tells her to kind of bring in some additional, like, fear so she won't escape. Because he tells her that there are these big dogs in the backyard. So if she leaves the building, uh, they are going to attack her. And also during this time, I want to note that she didn't have any clothes with her or on her at this point. After she took that initial shower, he never returned her clothes. So she's in this random building where, again, like Isabel said, she loses track of day and she's basically like handcuffed or chained up naked, watching the days go by, wondering if anybody's out looking for her. And I do want to bring up, she had mentioned, she was wondering if she was going to be in trouble for missing all this, all these days of school and if her mom was looking for her and basically what was going to happen when she was found. Exactly. Now, so she's stuck in this room, really only eats when Philip allows her to. Um, she only kind of gets to be unchained uh, from the bed when he is around. And she's really constantly left wondering if a visit from him is going to be something that is, uh, you know, bringing her food or just being company to talk to, or if this is a visit where she gets abused. Um, eventually, uh, she is raped in that studio and he, he, all he really does is leaves her with a bowl of water to clean up and then to herself. And after that, she's really constantly left in fear of what type of visit she's going to be getting from Philip here on out. And it's a really complex dynamic almost because so she's writing this book and she very uh, she does an amazing job of detailing what she's thinking, what's going on around her. And oh, I lost my train of thought. It's okay. I'll pick it up. She was very good about detailing her surroundings when she was in this random building. She noted that there was a train nearby that she would hear. She saw a tree outside the window of the building she was in and she kept note of this and would say you know when they rescue me like I know there'll be a train outside or I could tell somebody there was a train where I was rescued at or if she were even I don't think she ever really planned on escaping on her own but if she were to try to recall that location I feel like she had a pretty good idea of where she was and then she would talk about too how sometimes she almost looked forward to when Philip was going to come because they would just sit and talk and he would do, you know, funny impressions and like try and make her laugh. He like wanted to see her like laugh and be happy. He would get very upset if she was crying or sad. And that's something uh -huh. she learned over time was to constantly smile and to make sure that 
he believed she was truly happy and okay being there because she was abused pretty consistently. She didn't know she didn't know if it was every single day because she couldn't keep track of the days, but she said it was more times than she could ever count for that she was raped by him. But because he was her only human interaction, like you said, she almost looked forward to seeing him and him visiting because it meant she was getting food. Um, it meant she was getting maybe a laugh, but she was also terrified of being raped. Mm-hmm. And I think she kind of would sometimes pick up patterns too about like, she would look through the little crack in the window to try and tell what time of day it was. And, you know, if it was like during the day versus at night when she was sleeping, um, that would sometimes give her an indication of the type of visit um, if she heard Philip coming. And I think it was about maybe this was going on for a year. And I think eventually she actually he would bring her, he kept bringing her things uh, to make her studio feel, he wanted it to feel more like home. And so he kind of put a little like portable toilet in there for her eventually. And I think she got a TV in there. Or is that in the house? Well, you're right. Um, she got TVs. She got a cat. But it now took a... taking her cats yes. and getting rid of them. Yes, it was, like you said, it was like little by little she started getting these, I don't want to say freedoms because nothing about her situation was free, but, you know, it started small. Her handcuffs got taken off of her. She was then given a mini fridge in that building. Um, eventually... She got like a Nintendo gaming system. And I think eventually she could move around too. And she could explore a little. She was nervous to do it because in case he came, she was worried he'd be upset. But she could leave and go to like the next room in that building. So this was going on for a year. And eventually she meets Nancy. Nancy is the woman who was there when she was kidnapped originally by Philip. Um, And Nancy is uh, Philip's wife. And it's the most peculiar thing because Nancy doesn't like JC at all. It seems like she's uncomfortable by her. Um, I don't think she's happy that Philip took JC. And I think in the book, they even refer to it as her being jealous because Philip goes to JC. Uh, for his, you know, like sexual needs uh, as opposed to Nancy. So she has resentment towards JC. Right. In the book, she did mention that Philip told her, um, Nancy's my wife. She, he's not too fond of you. Um, but, oh, we, we didn't mention this, which I don't know how we haven't yet, but Philip constantly after he would rape JC he would tell her that she was saving other girls from being raped and abused by him he basically manipulated her to say you're here so I don't have to hurt anybody else and my wife Nancy doesn't like sex so you're also helping her so he manipulated JC to say 
you're doing so many people such a big favor. And she was outright being used and abused. And he was telling her, you're here, you're my object. So that's really important to note here. And like Isabel said, Nancy was not the biggest fan of her. And JC said in the, she wrote in the book that she wanted Nancy to like her. She wanted Nancy to be her friend. And she also did things to try to make Nancy believe she was happy and that she was happy to be around when Nancy would eventually come to visit her. Yeah. And I feel like that dynamic is kind of twofold in the sense that we can like kind of tell early on that JC is trying to please Philip. She wants it. She, I don't want to say wants to, but feels like she needs to see him happy. And so, you know, and Philip tells her that he wants her and Nancy to get along. So I think that's part of the reason. I think the second part is literally just, she wants somebody to talk to. She is bored. She has nobody around. She's been stripped from her mother. She has a sister, um, a stepfather who they were not on the greatest of terms, but she has been taken away from her family. She has nobody. Uh, and so, and I think another thing too, you mentioned what, you know, how Philip would manipulate her into saying that, you know, she was there to help him. And she would say like in her mind, obviously, you know, I don't want to help him. But then also this opposing end where she's like, but I, I'm glad that he's not hurting other people. Like he is me. So it worked in a roundabout way. Mm-hmm. Like she was seemed to constantly ha- be having to wrestle with these, these like back and forth thoughts that were like contradictory almost. Yeah, she had a lot of internal dialogues with herself mm-hmm. on, okay, nobody else is getting hurt, so that's a good thing, but why does it have to be me? Why can't I go home? You are hurting me. And I think something really interesting that she did with her book is while she's like telling the story of what happened, every now and again, there is like a reflection page. And that is her in like the current moment, she's writing it, expressing what her thoughts are, re- having to rethink and relive and like write about all of this. Uh, and so that's just very interesting to kind of get to see not only like what she's thinking in the moment, but also looking back on it, what her thoughts are. Those I thought were really interesting and a great addition to the book. Because she wrote about the struggle that she had even just to relive and rewrite it. Um, I want to bring up the runs because those are horrific and they were a big part of her captivity. When Philip would go on a run, he wasn't putting on his shoes and going around the block. He was taking cocaine, doing other drugs. And using that to stay awake for as many hours and as many days as he could to rape JC. He would have her dress up in adult clothes. He would have her put makeup on. And he would just live out all of his fantasies with JC for hours at a time. And he did this. I don't know how many times, I don't think she knows how many times, but the runs were something that she said were the some of the worst parts of her captivity and that 
I don't, you just have to read it to understand without without us going into way too much detail on it. Reading it was pretty horrific. And she actually did one of her reflections on this part of her abuse just on how difficult it was to write and to have to like recall. And two, we learned something new here about Philip is that he's a drug addict. Uh, and Nancy as well sometimes participates uh, in these runs. And so she um, uses drugs as well. And so uh, that is an important component to Philip. Uh, I think it's confusing because he also brings in and talks about religion quite a bit and God um, and how, you know, he wants the angels to help him uh, to stop hurting uh, JC, you know, he doesn't want to do it. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, doing all these drugs and high. And raping her at the same time, which isn't a very religious practice. But he would use the angels and the voices and the demons, all of those biblical references to justify what he was doing and how he was acting. He used the Bible to justify every single moment of abuse. Mm -hmm. Now, there was an, a period where JC didn't have to see Philip for, I think, like a month. She noted that there was a very long time where he was just gone and Nancy was sad. And we come to learn that Philip actually uh, spent a month in prison uh, for a parole violation, having drugs in his house. So now we learn Philip is on parole. There's a parole officer who comes and checks on him every now and again and has not found JC. Uh, they don't bother, I guess, to look around the property. And nobody knows that there's this like extra shed at the back of the property. Uh, but she noted kind of the relief of, you know, having him gone for a month. And in the book, she does have a picture of the property, like a Google Earth image. So there was a main house on the property, which is where the parole officers would come to check on Philip. And then there was a backyard and then two buildings in the backyard. One was a studio because Philip thought he was a master musician bound to be famous one day. And then he had basically another shed and JC was kept between the studio and that other shed. And the parole officers never went back into the property. And when he was imprisoned, this was about two years into her captivity. Keep that in mind. Yeah, so she was, uh, she was kidnapped. It was 1991. And then 1993, he spent a month in prison. And if I remember correctly, I don't think it was JC that noticed it. I think it was Philip that said something to her. Uh, when she was 14, she was actually pregnant. Yes, and I remember this part of the book. She noticed, and Philip and Nancy had noticed this too. She was putting on a little bit of weight. She was just feeling different and very uncomfortable in her skin, which is normal for a 14-year-old girl. But Philip basically came to the conclusion that she was pregnant. 
And this was absolutely terrifying for her because she was a child, a baby, about to have a baby. And she had never left the studio or the backyard at this point. And Philip was not willing to take her to a hospital or a medical care facility. He actually watched birthing videos and learned how to deliver a child on his own so he wouldn't have to bring her to a hospital and risk getting caught. I think that would have to be so terrifying to be a 14-year-old girl, be pregnant. Uh, you know, she was kidnapped from her mom when, it, when she was 11. And so she, I, you know, I don't know how much she knew about, you know, pregnancy or the changes that happen to your body, um, you know, in your teenage years, but she can't go to a doctor and get any kind of a medical help. She's completely reliant on Philip and Nancy to help her through this process. And I actually think after she had the child, her first child, That's when she was actually given a real bed. So she had spent three years of this point. We had mentioned she didn't have a real toilet or much of anything in her situation. But it wasn't until she had a kid that she was given a couch to sit on or a bed to lie on at night and sleep. And I think, too, she was able to actually, they would start bringing her into the house. And she'd have a room in the house that she was sometimes able to spend time in as well. And then when she was 17 years old, she's still in captivity. She became pregnant with her second child. So she's 17 years old, pregnant with another kid, two kids by 17. This is when she was actually allowed to be outside of the studio by herself. Philip had built basically a really tall fence and made sure nobody would see her if she was just walking around the backyard. And I think it was eventually uh, Philip and Nancy actually asked JC to choose uh, a new name. She was actually not allowed. We've been saying her name, but she wasn't allowed to say her name. Um, And so they told her she had to go by um, a different name that she chose. And so she chose to go by the name Alyssa, actually, during her uh, time in captivity. And then I think eventually, too, the dynamic of Philip, Nancy, and JC, and then the two daughters, they, the two daughters, they were worried were going to become confused about the dynamic. And Philip was worried about leaving Nancy out um, because JC had two daughters um, with Philip. And so they had told her that Nancy was going to be their mother and JC was going to be more of their older sister uh, type of role. But I think you can tell in some of the examples when she's even, you know, describing the time that they would all spend together, the kids really gravitated towards JC um, and had that bond with her. So you could, I mean, you could tell, uh, I feel like um, that there was that relationship. Absolutely. Um, I remember they were describing They had gone out somewhere or they were sitting on a roof, I think, watching the stars or watching the fireworks. And Nancy was holding, I believe, the youngest child. And the child started crying and reaching for JC. 
And she felt guilty for taking her own daughter back into her arms and comforting her because she knew that Nancy wanted the motherly role. And JC was just supposed to be Alyssa, their sister. And I do want to note, she chose the name Alyssa because she loved the actor Alyssa Milano. And if anybody listened to our Me Too episode, you know that Alyssa Milano was the reason that the Me Too movement sparked a fire. Now, JC didn't choose the name because of the Me Too movement. She just loved her as an actor, but I thought that was kind of like stars aligning for a second there. And I know it is an interesting connection. And eventually they did start going out in public as a family where JC was the sister of these two young girls and Philip and Nancy were their parents and they were just one big happy family. And at the same time, JC actually kept a journal uh, that she put in a book talking about her mom and missing her, wanting freedom and control of her life. Uh, she had a feeling that like she would see her mom and her sister again one day um, and had this internal struggle really of safety uh, and being home in the backyard in the sense that she was actually scared if um, like Philip was gone for a long time, worried he was going to get caught because she wouldn't know what was going to happen to her and her kids um, and how they would have a life, what they would do. I mean, she hasn't finished high school. She didn't have a childhood like other kids. And so that fear of like, I don't, wouldn't know where to start. And, you know, how, what is it that her mom and sister would feel towards her? And would they be accepting of the two kids? That's a huge thing. And so she goes back and forth between wanting to escape and then worried if Philip has gone for a long time. That actually reminds me of a point in the book where she said she was out with Nancy. I believe they were shopping and mm -hmm. JC had set her purse down, not knowing any better to maybe try on a pair of shoes or something. And she forgot her purse and then she went back to find it and the purse was missing. Somebody had stolen it and she felt so guilty because Nancy had given her money for them to go shopping and she put it in the purse. And she was the reason the purse got stolen because she left it behind. And she basically had this mental, I don't want to say mental breakdown, but this mental battle with herself of, I can't be out here in the real world. I'm scared. I don't have this protection that I do in the backyard. And she also noted when they were out in public, she wanted to say, I'm JC. Why is nobody looking for me? Why hasn't anybody found me does anybody care about me right she was going out in public and like almost a little bit surprised like nobody knows who I am like she has been kidnapped for years any of the people that she saw like, just nothing right and Philip and Nancy did sometimes like dye her hair or cut it short and they made her wear a hat and sunglasses but Sometimes those changes aren't as dramatic as they are in a movie. Mm -hmm. Now, JC was eventually discovered and rescued, not until she was 29 years old in 2009. 
All right. So Philip's parole officers kept changing. And the more recent ones had started really asking him a lot of questions. And he was just getting frustrated by it. He wanted the parole officers to leave him alone. You know, to him, everything was fine in his life. Um, his like narcissistic tendencies really had kind of like propped him up to believe that like he was doing the work of God and doing all of these amazing things um, and the police needed to stop. And so he actually brought the entire, and I'm going to use air quotes, like family to the parole office uh, to try and just, you know, resolve everything at once and uh, get the officers off of his case. He believed that through all of these years of manipulation, he everything was going to go so smoothly in that, you know, they were all going to play the role of a family that Philip had been trying to create uh, for all of these years. And when they get there, the officers actually question Nancy and JC. And Philip's beliefs hold true. They stick to their story. They stick to their script. And JC really does defend them and their story and their situation the best she can. But the officers knew better. They knew something was up and she had been lying about who she was. So they were able to separate JC from the pack and she did plea with them to please let her go. Everything's okay. And to make sure they kept her daughters safe. She went full mama bear I just want my daughters to be safe and make sure they're okay. I think she was actually scared that, you know, they, like that she thought they thought that she had done something wrong or that she wasn't going to be their real mom. And she didn't want them to separate her from the daughters at this point. Yes. Um, but then Philip actually got arrested. Yes. So they pulled a female officer into a room with JC And they had continued to question her, but from a more like victim-centered approach. And this officer told her, he admitted to kidnapping you years ago. Can you please tell us your name? And JC hadn't said her name for 18 years. She basically removed her identity from herself as a survival mechanism. She was all shaken up. And the officer slid her a piece of paper and a pen. And they said, can you write it down for us? She wrote out her name, J.C. Lee Dugard. And once the officer saw the name, she went into shock. This is the girl that went missing 18 years ago. I believe they thought she was dead and they just never found the body. And then... The rescue and rehabilitation process started. Do you want to go into the phone calls and calling her sister and her mom? Yes. So police were able to get in touch with JC's mom and they put JC uh, and her daughters in a hotel room with victim advocates and all kinds of personnel. Um, and uh, JC was actually reunited with her mom and her sister. Uh, she went and met them separately. And then JC's daughters uh, got to meet them as well. I remember this part of the book. They had called JC's home because she said, can I please see my mom? They called her home and her mom was at work 
but her baby sister, who was maybe 19 at this point, I believe, she answered the phone. The officers told her what was going on in the great news, and she said, my mom's at work. You call her work. And I remember JC had heard her mom on the other side of the phone once they got in touch with her, and she yelled, they found my daughter, or they found JC, they found my baby. They found her. And it, I don't know how you were reading it, but to me, I was just so happy and relieved. It was just very emotional the way it had all built up and play out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and two, they were very accepting of her two daughters, uh, which I think was great. I feel like you never really know how that situation is going to go. Um, if there's going to be any resentment because of who their father is and the way that they were conceived. Um, but it, that wasn't the girls' fault at all. Um, they were kids. And so um, it was just, it was, it was great of her family to be just so accepting and just so happy and grateful to all be like reunited again. Um, you know, everybody. Everybody. And the rest of the book basically details JC's life as a free woman, rebuilding these relationships with her mother and her sister, and then learning how to integrate her children into this family. And it's really interesting because JC's baby sister is the one who actually taught her how to drive. Um, She did note that she had to make decisions to protect her kids from the public eye just to keep her kids safe, she would stay home to make sure nobody really knew that those were her kids out there. JC also goes into how she started beginning therapy and equine therapy specifically, which we will get into detail in a bit, and then reconnecting with old friends. And she did note that she met with Nancy one last time just to get closure on that end because It wasn't necessarily all of Nancy's fault, but Nancy had so many opportunities to release JC to save her herself and leave Philip as the abusive narcissist he was, but Nancy never did. She loved him for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And again, I think with Nancy's role, it also shows like another way that, uh, women can be perpetrators of sexual abuse or human trafficking um, is allowing it to go on. He was spending a whole entire month in prison and she never let JC go. No. And again, like, and like we said, like she didn't like that JC was there. She didn't like what her husband was doing, but for a reason that I am just not sure of is she didn't do anything to change the situation. And I don't think JC ever got an answer as to why Nancy did what she did and allowed it to go on. And like you said, never let her go, even for a month when Philip wasn't there to punish her for wrongdoing on her part. And I say that in air quotes because there's no wrong in letting a victim or survivor go and be a free person. Exactly. Now, JC actually wrote a second book called Freedom, My Book of Firsts. Um, That's a follow-up to um, her book, A Stolen Life. And 
that book really just kind of outlines her life being free now and everything that she's had to learn and experience and navigate. Um, and so she has those two books. So we definitely would recommend, you know, you go read them. We gave you a kind of an overview of her story and what's happened, but we want to go a little bit more into detail now about some specific um, things that we kind of picked up on while reading. And I think we're going to start with Philip. I know we've kind of alluded to him being, you know, narcissistic, um, being on drugs and things like that. Um, and I think kind of the first point to make about Philip is JC described him as an average guy. He didn't seem like the kind of guy who would be a drug addict. He didn't look like that kind of guy. He didn't look like the kind of guy who would abuse children. He just seemed like your normal everyday person. Yeah, and that was shocking to her because, you know, we all have an image and I'm sure everybody listening has conjured up an image of what he looked like as we told her story and talked about him. Um, we mentioned she wasn't raped the first day that she was taken, but there was a, a quote from the book about that first time when they, he had made her shower with him. He asks if I had ever seen a naked man before, and I answer no. He says, that's hard to believe at my age. Keep in mind, she's 11 years old at this point, and he has this idea that 11-year-olds definitely should have been exposed to nudity or pornography or naked people. So I thought that was really interesting and kind of goes to show how people sexualize and over-sexualize children. Well, I feel like, too, this is him trying to normalize what he's about to do uh, to try and keep her from, you know, resisting too much or having a lot of, like, backlash, um, like, towards it. It's just he's trying to make it seem normal to make himself not feel as bad. And then also like for her and as a part of like his manipulation process. Right. And to piggyback off of that, he quote unquote waits a week, just about a week before he continuously started to rape her. I don't know if that week waiting period was to try to make sure that she thought she was okay or safe even somehow, or like you said, just gain his trust. Like, he shows up and I get fed and then he leaves or he tells a couple jokes, does some impersonations and then he leaves. But then that like almost maybe a week point hit and then he started to rape her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, he acts like he wants to have like a relationship, you know, he spends some time with her and eventually, you know, he tries to build this whole family with everybody. And so but he is, he's building this, like, dependency upon him this entire time. Um, when she initially uh, was there, she was handcuffed. You know, he would come once a day, bring her food, take the handcuffs off her, allow her to eat. So when he was there, you know, she could feel more, like, physically comfortable in the sense that she didn't have the handcuffs on and she could move about a little bit more. She got to eat. Um and she even says, like, he kind of became her entire world. Like, she recognized all of this. 
uh, you know, she says in the book, I craved human contact so much by then that I actually looked forward to him coming to see me. It felt like he was bestowing a gift to me, his presence. She became completely dependent on him and she was so isolated from reality and her old life and her world that she knew that this manipulation was down packed. And I'm going to get into the first time she was raped by him. He, and this is going with his manipulation tactics, he basically explained what he was going to do before he had raped her. And she had wanted no part of that. When he raped her, he kept her handcuffed and said she can have her dinner, her meal, and a milkshake that he had brought her, kind of like a reward after Philip had finished. And he told her it would be better if she didn't struggle. And then he, quote unquote, wouldn't have to get aggressive. And then after he would rape her, he would ask her, are you okay? And he would even cry sometimes. It's like he knew everything he was doing was wrong, but he just couldn't def- couldn't fight his desire or as he would say, his needs. And I feel like for her, that would be such a confusing thing. Like, oh, if you really do hate this so much, just let me go. Or, you know, if this, you know, brings you that much grief, if it is so wrong, like he even sometimes admits, just let her go. Um, but he really, he spends a long time like manipulating and just creating all this like confusion, I feel like for her. Um, so where it'd be so difficult to know what even to think about him and the behavior that's going on. Um, and like slowly he wants her to be more comfortable, quote unquote. And, you know, he removes the handcuffs and gives her clothes and like small little things like that. Like Georgia mentioned earlier, the Nintendo mini fridge and eventually even like a bed. Um, he starts even bringing her, you know, animals. We mentioned like a cat. because She wouldn't be so lonely. And so he's, like, building this relationship, you know, it's, like, simultaneously um, to create this fantasy for himself. And speaking of the cat again, JC loved animals. They were a big part of her life and eventually her therapy once she was rescued. Um, she was given random cats to her as pets. Uh, she had a bird at one point too. So I did a count while I was reading. And by the time she was 17, she had been given three cats, a bird, and a guinea pig. But all of these animals had died or they were given away by Philip. And then after that period when she was allowed to roam the backyard like an animal in captivity, she was given a few more strays or she fed more strays and she had basically kind of created happiness around stray animals. Now, as we've, you know, mentioned, you know, his like narcissistic tendencies, um, there were several throughout the book uh, to kind of allude to this. Um, He is a musician. He wrote all of, you know, his songs himself. He always says, you know, he's going to be famous one day and he just thinks that he is so good. Um, He really likes to hear himself talk. And he's constantly explaining why he's right and everybody else is wrong. 
Stacy talks about how, you know, if she disagrees with him on anything, there's no point. She can't really say anything. She can't refute what Philip says because Philip somehow always has a way of always being right in the end. Um, you know, he goes on these long tangents about anything he possibly can. He's using drugs. So, you know, like Georgia said, these runs, they're fueled by like cocaine. So he stays awake so long. He amazes himself by like the amount of drugs that he can take and says, you know, it doesn't hit him as hard. It's like a regular person. So he kind of puts himself on, you know, some kind of stand above people almost. And you know, he even watches birthing videos, uh, thinking that, you know, he himself is going to deliver, you know, the two children uh, that JC becomes pregnant with. Um, as opposed to needing any help from doctors. And we had mentioned this earlier, but he told her she was helping him with his sex problem instead of hurting other people. He took took her so she could help him and he wouldn't have to hurt anybody else. Um, here's a quote from the book. He said, society didn't help people like him and there were a lot of men out there in the world with the same problem as his. He would apologize to me. He would cry after he was done fucking me and beg for my forgiveness. He said it would make him feel better. And as I mentioned before, he also said Nancy didn't like sex, so she was helping her out too. I think, so in the book, she starts talking about, and she references, um, as far as we know, in 1993, uh, he started reading the Bible and looking for help from God. He started to hear these voices. He talked about angels and used the angels to justify and explain everything away. He thought he had such like a powerful mind. He created this like black box device to help the FBI with um, his like God's desire church and like his fight for God. Uh, he was in therapy, but was self-medicating himself. JC had mentioned that he saw a therapist or a psychiatrist and it sounds like that was a very enabling therapist or psychiatrist because if they prescribed him some type of amphetamine, he thought he was self-medicating himself by doing cocaine or looking for marijuana or just looking for anything because he knew that he was doing what was right by taking illicit drugs, non-prescribed, because the doctor had given them a real prescription for something else. He took the stronger street version, basically. So we just see all these different types of narcissistic tendencies from Philip and the manipulation tactics he was able to use to abuse JC for 18 years. So now we want to get into her survival mechanisms that she was able to use throughout the book. Yeah, so in the beginning, we really see she's trying to take note of her surroundings in case she gets found or, you know, she's able to escape and runs away. She can describe to somebody where she was held. Uh, so she notes, you know, hearing the train nearby uh, or, you know, the tree in the backyard that she can see through a little crack in the window. Anything like that to help give any type of description of where she's located. Uh, we see that she's constantly thinking about her mother um, and if anybody was looking for her. 
JC was also doing things that she didn't want to do because she didn't want to make Philip mad or upset because she was terrified of seeing that side of him when it did come out. So, you know, she would fake smiles, fake a laugh here or there because he just loved to see her happy is what he told her. And we also mentioned this, that she was trying to make Nancy like her because she was so desperate for a friend and somebody to talk to that wasn't Philip. And she did things that Nancy liked to do, like watching scary movies. JC wasn't a fan, but she watched them because Nancy wanted to watch them. She even mentioned like over and over that she did feel bonded to these people. And I think really what that is, is um, the re- a reference to the dependency that she also has to these people. She kind of has to almost have a relationship to some extent with these people just to, you know, one, survive, obviously, and then two, just to really maintain any kind of sanity as opposed to being completely isolated for all of these years. Uh, Even on the day of her rescue, like she was fighting to keep a narrative alive for Philip and Nancy. Um, And she says, you know, I was so scared and even thought I was so close to having my life back. I still could not crash through the wall that he built inside of me, which just talks, I think, so powerfully to all of, you know, everything we talked about above, about the way that Philip manipulated her, how strong that had a hold on her life. Like she was so close. She was speaking alone to police officers and was still hesitant uh, to tell them because she was just so scared. She had no idea what was going to happen. Her biggest fear kind of seemed like was, you know, if she was going to be separated from her daughters. And so, um, that, that feeling of like everything that you've known for 18 years, completely going away would be, you know, it's hard to imagine. And last but not least, we can't forget to talk about Nancy's role in the relationship, not only with Philip, but her relationship with JC. Initially, we mentioned she didn't want to see JC. She waited about a year into JC's captivity to even go show her face to JC in the backyard. But eventually, she started bringing JC stuffed animals and magazines, and she would spend time with JC like she was actually trying to be her friend. Now, keep in mind, JC is still a child, and when I say magazines, they were like Disney magazines and watching Disney films and listening to Disney songs because that's what kids like to watch and to listen to. It's not like they were bonding over adult things. Even before they took JC, like Nancy knows about uh, the way that Philip abuses girls. Uh, We mentioned that he was on parole. So he was actually in prison before for uh, sexual abuse. And so there's kind of that. He's gotten out, he's on parole, and now he kidnaps uh, JC. And she's kind of led to believe that she's there. That way nobody else has to get hurt. Well, we come to learn from Nancy that she actually goes with Philip to parks. And uh, Philip has her go up to little girls at the park and asks them to like do splits and will videotape uh, with a camera in her bag uh, for Philip to watch later. And so there is still abuse of other girls going on at this time. And we can see, you know, not only is Nancy enabling the situation with JC, but she's enabled him in other situations as well. And it's just bizarre because she seems so hesitant by it, but still does it. 
Nobody knows what type of grip that Philip has on Nancy because JC was definitely too young and just never engaged in a really deep conversation with Nancy to ever understand that. This is about as deep as the conversations go between JC and Nancy as far as we know, but we really don't know why Nancy is so loyal to Philip. And I don't even know if, like, let's say a conversation like that were ever to even try to happen. I don't even know that Nancy would be able to give a good answer, uh, to be honest. No, I think she would lie and maybe even believe in the angels and demons that Philip has been preaching about for so many years. She would just say, you know, the angels did it. Those are the voices in my head. I'm doing this because they told me to. Because she's allowed herself to believe that. Yes. Like, story that Philip's created. Exactly. So that is our overall analysis. We could probably talk about this book for hours. We did our best to keep it as limited as we could without ruining the details of the book. Um, but we each picked certain excerpts from the book to talk about and shed light on. It's actually funny because both of ours, we did not talk about what we, something, you know, we took away from the book. We didn't talk about it beforehand, but literally they're in the exact same paragraph of the book. They're, they're different parts. So I think that is just, I just thought that was really funny because I went to like look at mine and I literally read the whole paragraph and your point is right above my point. <laughs> we should have talked about it, but that's fine because they're two different points, but they're important. <laughs> I, know, I, thought that was, I thought that was funny. <laughs> so this is a quote from the book. Being in the outside world at all times still scares me, and sometimes I want to hold my kids close and never let go, but I know that I am in the 1% of the population. Stranger abduction is very rare. And Isabel and I have talked about this on past episodes. We recognize that in abduction cases or trafficking and abuse cases of children, most of the time it is somebody that you know, whether it's a friend or a family member or somebody in your community, there's a better chance that you know your abuser than there is of being a stranger abduction. And I really appreciated that JC made that point known in her book. And she talks about that when she is uh, having to drop her kids off at school. She has to remind herself of how rare stranger abductions actually are because she's so scared when she has to drop her kids off. What if, you know, what happened to her happens to them? Uh, so again, I mean, these absolutely, as you see with JC's story, they do happen. Um, but it is also important to note uh, that, you know, according to JC, you know, 1% of the population. And so one of the parts that I underlined uh, while reading, it's right after she mentions the 1% uh, and how she's thinking about that and reminding herself that when she drops off her daughters uh, to school. And she says, I hope they grow up with a greater sense of self than I had. I was raised to always be polite to my elders. In most cases, this is right. But there are moments in which all of us need to have a backbone and feel that we have the right to say no to adults if we believe that they are doing the wrong things. You must find your voice and not be afraid to speak up. I gave my power to my abductor. I was the one 
to comfort him when he was the one in the wrong? Where was my comforter? Where was my freedom? And so I pulled this quote because I think it is so important. And some of the standards that we have in our society really kind of put adults uh, to be deserving of higher level levels of respect than children. We're all people and we're all going through the stages of life. But I feel like the way that we sometimes set up our society is that children are not supposed to question adults. Adults know best. And when we reinforce that type of thinking, it is much more difficult for children to speak up if adults are doing something wrong. They're almost more predisposed to believe, well, they're the grown up. They wouldn't do something bad to me. They're supposed to be the ones taking care of me. And so um, I just really appreciated, you know, her pointing that out um, in the book. And I think it is something that is so important for, you know, all adults to consider is, you know, the way that like it is important to teach children to think critically, to teach them a good sense of values and to speak up when those values uh, are being violated by somebody. I believe that the term for that, what you're referencing to is called adultism. And we tend to raise children to, as you said, listen to adults, do what they say, don't ask any questions. And that's not out of a, a bad place of heart. It's because adults have lived life, have experience, and they want to make sure that the kids are being safe. But there are predators that can easily manipulate that situation. And there are an endless amount of examples of that happening where kids or even young adults see what they perceive as an authority figure and they fall vulnerable to abuse because they were just doing what they were told. Exactly. And I know Jordan and I have talked about doing a whole entire episode um, on this point. And so when I read it in her book, I was like, oh my goodness, I need to highlight this. Um, and we're kind of giving it our little debut now. Um, but we're working on a full episode to kind of talk more and explore that. And what is it that maybe adults do uh, without realizing that can have a negative uh, potential impact on children uh, and kind of their safety when they have to go out and interact with other adults even. Now, JC wrote her second book, like you mentioned, Freedom. And this book, so I haven't finished uh, the entire book. I know Georgia has. And so you might be able to speak a little bit more to it than I can. Uh, but it's really her talking about her experience after the fact, navigating the media and uh, just this reintegration back into um, society, uh, working with therapists, uh, building her and her daughter's relationship without Philip and Nancy. And so there's a lot of really interesting points in here. And we wanted to just touch on a few of them uh, that we just found um, particularly interesting. Um, so what we had mentioned briefly before was JC has this deep love for animals. And she actually uses equine therapy because she doesn't feel comfortable sitting in a room alone with a stranger, which is justifiable. But for those of you who don't know what equine therapy is, it's 
using horses to learn about yourself and learn about your trauma and as a comforting mechanism. I don't know if anybody has experience with horses. I grew up with them. I think they're beautiful animals. And I think it's very interesting how smart they are. And she details how she learned so much about herself through these interactions and kind of like learning drills with her, her family, and these horses. I know it was interesting to read how like the therapist would try to like simulate like feelings uh, that might come up in like the real world in these exercises with the horses to try and get them to think through, you know, meanings of trust and depending on one another and how we're looking out for each other. So it was really interesting to kind of see uh, like the creativity of being able to take, you know, what JC felt more comfortable doing, you know, not sitting in a therapy room, which is the typical, you know, standard that we think of when, you know, you think of going to therapy and doing something uh, that was more like realistic and what would be more helpful for her and where she was at her situation and kind of tailoring it uh, to be more beneficial for her. Um, I think another interesting thing that the book touched on was dealing with trauma. There was a situation where she uh, was actually going to do an interview uh, with a newscaster. So she picked the person that she uh, felt uh, the most comfortable with uh, to do the interview uh, with her. And the day that she was going to do it, she talked about how nervous she was to do it. And her narrative in her mind was more so worried about, can other people tell how nervous I am? And she concludes, she goes, there's no way anybody could tell because she has had to actually be able to hide her anxiety when she was with Philip. She couldn't let Philip see that she was scared or afraid because then that would make him mad and he would be mean and aggressive towards her. And so she has had to learn to hide um, nervousness, anxiety so well that she can mask it in public. And I thought that was really interesting because when we think of two, um, what does, you know, a typical like victim look like in your mind? And it's somebody, you know, who is maybe weaker and sad and scared and crying. And did JC do some of those things? Yeah, when she was by herself. But then when she was in public, she was like, you, you wouldn't necessarily know just looking at her. But that doesn't mean that she wasn't a victim or that, you know, her situation wasn't horrible. Um, it's just everybody kind of deals with trauma and the need to survive differently. And so I thought, I thought that was very well portrayed in, in this book. And I know you didn't get to finish it. I don't want to ruin the book for you or anybody, but it basically goes on to further detail a lot of experiences in her life. She traveled the world. She advocates for survivors. Um, she met other very well-known survivors and they got to talk about their stories She's been given many awards and she actually advocates against using the term Stockholm Syndrome because of the negative impacts that it has on survivors. I know when we did episode number four, we talked about trauma bonding and we did talk about Stockholm Syndrome. So 
in the future, we could probably go into a whole other episode to dive into Stockholm Syndrome and then use JC's advocacy against that term. And we can kind of try to understand and break it down from their point of view. I think that would be really interesting. I was surprised to see it, but she reiterates, I did not love Philip. I did not love Nancy. So when she came out and people gave her the Stockholm Syndrome label, she was disgusted. And But overall, the Freedom Book is so much more positive and much happier tone, obviously, because it's about her life now, her free life and being with friends and family, having her own animals. And this is such an important part of her life that she now has taken control and she's still healing, still doing therapy, but she finally has control of her life and there's so much more life for her to live and experience. Yeah. So we, you know, we obviously, have, we've been able to talk about this book for more than an hour. Uh, so we very much encourage that everybody uh, read both of these um, and, you know, you know, appreciate her like bravery to tell her story because that's not easy um and again i mean her her uh situation was very highly publicized um she had to hide from media a lot and so um her kind of sharing you know her narrative um is very very powerful so we definitely encourage everybody to go read it let us know what you think um about the books uh, otherwise thank you so much for joining us uh on today's episode uh, we were glad to get to talk about this book, um, share our thoughts, and we will see you guys in two weeks. Bye.